A lot of times we we see people confuse interest and traction. Interest is a feeling, traction is data. You cannot deposit interest into your local bank account. At the end of the day, the data you're trying to get to is what are my customers' key metrics? So it's really simple. Your product or service either helps those metrics or it falls outside of the top three. Put on their hat for a second. If somebody was trying to take your time, you know, hey, I want to demo you something that doesn't impact one of the three most important numbers that you look at all year, are you going to give them your time? Three, four percent of founders actually know who their customer is. And so when we're talking about your ideal customer profile and why it's so important, I mean, it's not rocket science. How do you build a go-to-market strategy and all the little pieces behind it if you don't know who it's built for? Welcome to Founder Journeys. This podcast is showcasing quick and high-impact conversations about the world of entrepreneurship. In each episode, we speak with founders and investors on specific subjects to inspire current and future entrepreneurs. Join our host, Catherine Lockhart, CEO of Propel, as we build a thriving and sustainable tech community together. Hi, everybody. My name is Catherine Lockhart. I'm the CEO of Propel and the host of Founder Journeys. And today I am incredibly excited to introduce you to Max Minky. He is a founding partner at GrowthX, who we work with on a regular basis. As a little bit of a highlight for his background, you should definitely look him up on your own. But he has spent several years living in China with fast growing edtech startups. Back in the US, it's very clear Max is naturally wired to spend time with early stage startups, helping to teach them and really empower them to build systems, processes, market messaging, to actually go to market properly. So for the founders listening, you're in for a real treat today. We're gonna to give you a little glimpse into Max's brain and how he works, and you're gonna have huge benefit from that. And the final thing I'll say is in working with GrowthX over the years, it's been a real treat. And as they have grown and helped many rising cities and regions like Atlantic Canada, right across the globe, part of their effort was to scale Max himself. <laughs> so founders, pay attention, buckle up. We're gonna dive into some fun questions, but Max, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate that awesome intro. I'm so happy to be here and so grateful as always to be just chatting with you. We've had so many talks about this stuff over the years, so I'm excited yeah. to see what comes out. And it's true. We have had so many talks, so it's it was time to record and get this out into the open. So <laughs> yeah. I think we're both excited. Let me let me lead us off with a quote that came from one of your presentations once upon a time. It's hard to keep track now and and uh, get us into the right mindset here. So 70% of funded startups fail before they break even or before they actually succeed in their next funding round. 80% of the reasons are related to market and people. Now, Max, today's market is hard. And together with GrowthX and Propel, we want to ensure that the founders we work with have an unfair advantage, especially even in tough markets. Why are businesses failing? What's going on? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the data, as you just pointed out, is incredibly clear and consistent. There companies, I should just say people, founders, uh, they're failing just because they're most often they're just they don't understand go to market. They don't understand sales. And then because they don't, they, they kind of avoid it usually and they're just not spending enough time. And most go to market strategies are either, um, well, if I shout loud enough, the right people will come or, you know, the other side of the spectrum. Um, I hope the market will discover me, even though I'm a quiet little mouse. Right. And this is something that, you know, I, I came across just when I repatriated to the U.S. Um, from China, gosh, almost a decade ago, was, was working with all these great founders before I knew the data. And, you know, my kind of background in sales and go to market, meeting all these amazing people with great backgrounds and great tech um, and what should have been, you know, all star companies. And they were failing from issues that were extraordinarily obvious and common to anybody with a background in sales. And what occurred to me and the rest of the team at GrowthX was, well, wouldn't it be interesting is if you gave all these founders just the, just the basic building blocks of best practices in sales and, and not so much, you know, go to market and all this, you know, hype and fluff and hyperscale, but enabling people to just understand that Sales isn't an art. It's not something where someone's born with it. You know, certainly people can be more naturally gifted. But I, I was actually just talking with uh, a group of entrepreneurs, and most of them are technical founders. And they said, "How do I overcome that mental gap about spending time in sales?" Said, "You're building a product in sales. It is engineering. It is development. You're building something in service of your future employees, so that all of you can be successful." And so I just, you know, for whatever reason. Um, you know, revenue and go-to-market has just been deprioritized um, mm-hmm. when we as communities raise startups. And, and when I say we as communities, I mean, you know, tech ecosystems. And it doesn't take a ton of work, but look at the journey of a founder when, they, when they're at that ideation phase and they go to their tech ecosystem for help, right? Um, there are an enormous number of programs, accelerators that say, here's every resource you could possibly imagine to build products, to hire, to fundraise, all that great stuff. There are almost no events, no content, no speakers that actually say, hey, by the way, um, there's a stat to which you just pointed out. It says the thing that's really going to kill your business is not knowing how to sell anything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just where we felt like this, this seems like we're taking crazy pills. We know what the problem is <laughs> and we need to start filling that solution. I think, you know, what's just happened in, in the recent years is um, the market's kind of caught up to our perspective on it. Um, and I think it's actually really great because I think what you and I and, and other, you know, ecosystems around the world are really going to benefit from is, I think we're going to see a decade of entrepreneurs building real businesses and ones that aren't from the get-go dependent on venture. Um, and, and because you know capital is going to be tighter, because there's going to be more emphasis on even if you want capital, you better have revenue. It's going to make a lot of people really successful. So it's tough, but it's kind of like tough love. Um, in a way where I think ultimately it's going to be so good for entrepreneurship at large. 
Well, and I love what you just said. Capital is going to be tough. So we really need to hone in on those foundational skills. And we're, you know, you've opened up with talking about learning how to go to market, learning how to sell. Um, talk to me for a minute, because I love what you said. The next decade, I think you're excited about. I think we're excited about, because we know we're going to help empower founders with those foundational skills in order to navigate very difficult times. Tell me what what we're what we're hopefully moving away from. And you say this well, Max, sometimes you call it mentor chat roulette. What, just talk about that for me, what that means and what would you encourage founders? How do, how do they navigate that? What, what might they do instead to help build those foundational skills they're really going to need? Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, learning isn't a passive activity, right, Catherine? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and neither is revenue. Neither is building a company, frankly, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about mentor chat roulette, it's this process where it's so easy, it's almost you know cheap to get an opinion from an armchair expert and say, you should do this, even though I don't really have all the insights and my time is too valuable to learn enough about your company, I'm going to throw advice at you. And then you go chase it down. Well, how do I actually activate that advice? How do I actually do it? And, you know, this is something I I think has been a really big change across um, sort of the tech ecosystem or the founder support ecosystem is saying, listen, we we need to move away from a strategy model of education, assistance, help, all that other stuff, and, and move into one that's about technique. What are the things that a founder needs to learn so that they can take their fingertips and put them on a keyboard and actually do something differently, do it better, do it faster, right? Because that's the promise of an accelerator. We're going to help you get to where you wanted to go uh, faster than you doing it on your own. Well, the problem with Mentor Chat Roulette is it kind of, it's this nice Christmas ornament. It sits there as this shiny object, but I can't actually see the path. And I'm actually going to go backwards, probably reinventing it or screwing it up in a way that, you know, an expert might not. But, you know, an amateur certainly would. And again, like this, these are the things that I see every day working with founders where they're doing things that you go, boy, that's the right intent, but the technique is really poor. And it's not that the technique requires expertise. Yeah. An example would be, you know, an email campaign going out to people and it being just full of your tech features instead of, you know, your benefits. It's not that that person is stupid. It's just that they haven't been given the tools to just know the basic principles of it. Mm-hmm. So that's where, you know, for us, and one of the things I've always loved about the Propel model, and where we've always been aligned, is that we don't give founders mentors. We give them coaches. Mm-hmm. And, and we take that responsibility and that mantle really seriously. We, you know, mm-hmm. we want to help, and we know that the real impact is in the weeds. And oh, by the way, the really great founders want to be in the weeds as well. They want that help. Yeah, they thrive, they thrive in the weeds, don't they? <laughs> yeah. And it makes it fun, right? Yeah. I mean, for, for us, and I'm sure you're the same way, I was telling some founders earlier, listen, you hold the keys to my passion. I don't get to practice this if you don't ask for help, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. you know, help is our due diligence, but it's also how I get to enjoy doing this as a profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that makes a ton of sense. And especially for founders listening and, and Max's commentary on mentor chat roulette is, is important. And sometimes we say, if you use an analogy, like if my daughter has an ear infection, it's like me taking my daughter 
to an expert dentist and expecting that dentist to figure it out because that person is a really successful dentist and loves giving advice. And I'm going, okay, there's a disconnect there. It's obvious if you use that extreme analogy, but the same can apply for a lot of the mentors that enter a founder's uh, atmosphere, if you will. And, but empowering those founders back to your point, Max, empowering them with the right technique, empowering them with the skills to know how to put their fingers on the keyboards and tackle a market and listen to a market effectively is the most powerful thing that they could possibly do. Something else you say, I want to move us into a conversation around traction. I've heard you say, Max, before traction speaks louder than words. And I love that because at GrowthX, you guys, your whole team spends very intentional time and energy on first helping and then investing. And I also love what you guys say. I've heard Andrew say this before. This is joke, tongue in cheek, but really the only legal form of insider trading. So really working with founders to see um, how fast they're learning this. Are they really empowered to go to market? So let's just talk about GrowthX's focus on traction. Traction is such a key word, but we throw it around. But let's just do a deep dive on traction and what that means for founders. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's so many different ways to go at this. I mean, first of all, for us, this is the way that, you know, Andrew and I just align on the practice of VC. And one of the things I really want to stress to any founder listening is that this isn't the perspective of the VC industry. This is ours. Mm -hmm. And I say that because oftentimes I talk to founders and say, I heard a VC say this, so this must be true. I, I just stress that while almost every VC loves and really requires traction, um, it's not necessarily how everyone practices that. But it certainly is our passion. And part of that is because, you know, when you invest in a company, uh, most VC relationships last longer than the average marriage, right? Terrifying, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you're married. <laughs> right? and we don't spend nearly as much time, you know, thinking about uh, investing in a company um, mm-hmm. as we do about getting married, right? Yeah. And so that kind of gets back to that help us due diligence is, you know, for us, just as people who want to practice this profession for a very long time, we need to be able to have value and add value. And to not just write checks, but to take the journey alongside of people. And we just know what our value is. It's in go-to-markets and sales and traction. If you don't have any, I I can't be terribly useful to you along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also just a very tactical aspect to this. Nothing grows valuations faster or keep companies healthier than traction. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And it's just a safe bet. It's a smart play. And so we need to be able to see that and see that, you know, there's something beyond, you know, slide 12 on your pitch deck that says you have a $6 trillion TAM. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the the world is full of, you know, uh, startups with pitch decks, you know, in the graveyard with $6 trillion TAMs. It's -hmm. not an indicator of traction. Mm -hmm. Traction also is just a byproduct that speaks to the ethos of the founder, and their willingness to roll up their sleeve and really do that work and build a real business. Uh, you know, of course, part of that, as you know very well, is a reaction to the market and just saying, listen, you can't be a zombie startup that just runs around and fundraises all the time. I mean, I think especially in the places where you and I help founders, right, in Canada and rising cities across the U.S., People can't just go and hang out at the right Phil's coffee shop 
And if I'm there five days a week, I'm going to trip over, you know, a quarter million dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, certainly you could do that for for a long time in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't do that in Atlantic Canada. You can't do that in Cincinnati or Louisville or Birmingham. You've got to work a little bit harder to demonstrate that you're a real live, you know, bleeding heart business that has an opportunity. And there's no convincing people because the end of the day, you know, another phrase I use a lot is like, don't bring feelings to a data fight. Well, I think my company's better. If it is, then just prove it and let's go find the customers to do it. Mm-hmm. So that that's where in working with people, you know, we don't just say, as the mentor would say, or as some investor would say, well, go find customers and let me know when you find product market fit. We go, I don't think you know how to find it, but I'm going to give you the tools to find it. I'm going to learn what is it like for us to work together? Do we enjoy that relationship? Yeah. Number two, I'm going to learn, you know, really whether or not there's a real business here. And, you know, that ethos, that that was how I fell into all this. One of our first partners was looking at investing in a company. It was a 3PL trucking logistics company. I am not an expert in that space at all, but he was really excited about it. Loved the founder, loved the market opportunity. The timing is really good. I didn't know the first thing about venture, but I, I knew a good amount about sales. He said, I really like it, but I just don't know if this guy really knows his customer. Mm-hmm. I said, well, why, what's to stop us from just cold calling people that look like his customers and asking if they'd buy it? And everyone looked at me like I was an alien. Mm. <laughs> and apparently no one thought to do this. Sales as due diligence. So I went in a hole in a basement and I spent a week making cold calls to peanut farmers in the Southeast. Love that. And I found out really quickly, those are not our customers. And on the flip side, I then through those calls learned and found out who the customers would be. And it was a much better customer segment that ended up being GrowthX's first investment. Wow. It's just doing that hard work and figuring out, wow, it's incredible what you can learn about a market when you don't paint it as a TAM, but you speak to it as, you know, people. Mm -hmm. I think that's so cool. What a great, what a great story about the first investment. And I love migrating from the, the talk about traction and and we also you see this we see this in propel founders come in and they i want because i want to define traction and then migrate into what is scale what do you need to actually scale so with traction sometimes we see founders that say i got five customers i got traction and then you sort of look under the hood and you said wait a minute you've got some consulting revenue from something else you've got a big customer and a small customer and you've had someone who's in a pilot And you're not actually delivering on what they want you to deliver on, but you haven't realized that yet. So there's a little bit of what we would call fractured revenue. So they're calling it traction. We're going, we're not at traction level yet. So when we we go from talking about traction to understanding what traction really is, and I want to get to, founders also talk about scaling. And they don't always understand what is required Back to that technique you were talking about. What do you actually need to achieve as a founder within that early stage business to scale? And you guys talk about, and we love this, a predictable and repeatable process. How do you actually create that? So founders that are listening can walk away and go, oh, wait a minute, I have fractured revenue. I need to find a market that is so niche. We can talk about ICP because that's one of our favorite things in the world. But I need to achieve a repeatable and predictable process. What does that look like? How do they do that? So the right traction unlocks the path 
to scale. So let me break that down a little bit. The right traction is traction that is consistent and uniform. And you know, that that might sound technical or go, what does it really mean? But I encourage every founder, listen, investors aren't that much smarter than you, if at all. Just think about what your own traction looks like. And would you say, oh, that is coherent traction, right? So you've got two companies. Each of them do 50 grand in, let's call it traction or revenue. Company A has fractured traction. It's you know, five customers across different segments, you know, one's a consulting, another's a SaaS, another one's a pilot, various different contract lengths, various different geographies, different titles, all the other stuff. The other one is consistent. Five customers, same contract value in the same geographical location. Oh, by the way, the same use case. Now just put on the investor hat for yourself. Which one would you invest in? Okay, so it's, so it's not complicated, right? And I think part of the difficulty with creating consistent traction is just discipline. It starts at the top of your funnel. Garbage in equals garbage out. If, if you reach out to a whole lot of different people, you're going to get a lot of different requests for different services, right? So if you can be disciplined on knowing that the right traction, the traction that's going to benefit your startup the most is going to be consistent traction, well, then you know what you're looking for, what goes into your funnel. I don't want to let anybody in my funnel. It's the opposite. I want to put a velvet rope around my calendar, around my time, around my funnel. And I'm only going to let in the right people that are going to serve my business's ultimate goals and needs. Again, it's five of the right you know, customers that look alike and prove a point. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where traction unlocks scale. If you have coherent, uniform traction, that's going to force you to go through the same motion again and again and again. By going through the same motion, you're not going to make hopefully the same mistakes over and over again. You're going to improve upon it. You're going to notice patterns. You're going to start to develop processes to make that easier for you and to make it more successful for your customers. And that process, that's the building block to scale, right? Those five customers That's the repeatability and the process is how you do it consistently. So what scale is not, and this is is the biggest mistake most founders make, scale is not the amplification of noise and activities. You are not scaling if you're $100,000 in revenue, but a fractured revenue. You're not scaling because you're sending 200 or 500 emails. You're not scaled because you have three junior sales reps. And, and, and you've seen it, I've seen yep. it a lot where companies way prematurely hire, you know, salespeople. And I put that in air quotes because most, most founders don't even really understand what that is, right? But you're not scaled just because you're adding burn to the equation. You've scaled when you have a process that you can step someone into. You're, you're, you're able to scale when someone else can take over that pipeline and then they can take their professional expertise as maybe a salesperson and they take over the process refinement. They take over the, the, the aspects that you as a relative amateur built, but now they don't have to do the groundwork. They can take it to a professional grade. I'm, let me walk you back to something really great. And I want to interject and, and 
pick your brain a little bit further, Max, on this important point. So we're talking about salespeople and you don't have scale when you bring in three junior salespeople. Listen to that founders. You don't have scale because you hired more salespeople. And, and I want to go back to something I would call like a founder reality, something, something that really, if we could just embed this in all founders brains, it would, it would help. Can you talk to me about the difference? Cause I think it'll help founders learn about the timing of market development and when you're ready to hire for those sales and marketing people that we're, we're seeing founders do prematurely, but talk about market development and the right mindset and that it's most of the time founder led in building a playbook to get to what you're talking about it, you know, in order for that salesperson to step in to a process, the founder yeah. has learned it. They have failed and learned again and tried and run through our processes that we, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, but the difference between market development and people hiring three salespeople, just dig into that for me. Yeah. I mean, this is actually incredibly simple at the end of the day, if you, the founder, cannot sell it, then you're not ready to scale or hire. Give me some numbers. I'm going to be pushy on this one, like 10 deals, 20 deals. It depends on the company, depends on the stage, but it, it really is about consistency and it's not about a lot. It certainly is not a lot, but it's more than one, yep. right? And it depends on, okay, are we talking about um, enterprise deals, right? It's not going to be 10. That, that'd be too long of a time horizon. It might be three. It might be four. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about, you know, 10, $20,000 deals, it might be closer to, you know, 15, mm -hmm. right? It's it's enough that an actual process emerges. And again, it, it, it has to be non-fractured revenue. It has mm -hmm. to be coherent, standardized revenue. Mm -hmm. and, and help can't come in and just start building for you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think what what people don't understand uh, when they're either hiring that junior sales rep or you know a CRO, and I'm going to bring in a head of sales because they'll solve all my problems, right? Is that at that early stage you need a builder, right? And and there's this concept of the coin operated sales rep and the renaissance sales rep, and it's certainly something you know worth folks googling. But as the, as the founder, you're a renaissance sales rep. You're going to do all the parts of the sales process, and you've got to build it from the ground up. Your everyday head of sales who walks into an early stage startup, in all likelihood, they've never had to build anything. Mm -hmm. In all likelihood, the place where they were really successful and their CV screams, oh my God, this person will take care of all my problems for me. They're coming from a company that had brand awareness in the market, several million dollar marketing campaign. They had, you know, copywriters and sales development reps teeing up meetings for them. They haven't had to do the grunt work of building a funnel, building a brand in, you know, 10 years. Mm -hmm. So when they come in, yeah, they're really wise. Again, they're not bad people, but they are disconnected from the technique from the stuff that you have to actually do to start building a funnel. Mm -hmm. That's why so many of them fail. But if you are a founder that's actually taken the time to go, listen, I know how to do this and I've proven it can be done and you can walk somebody into that process. Again, that's where they can say, great, I, I see what you've done here. Now I'm going to make the tweaks. I'm going to make the edits. I'm going to professionalize this capacity. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really the key. I mean, again, if, if you're not doing it as the founder, why would someone else who's less passionate, less knowledgeable about your product and service, yeah. 
um, be more capable at it. Think about if you're a founder and you're selling this and you've started to do it. And again, depending on the markets that you're in, if it's enterprise, if it's longer sales cycle, faster sales cycle, the volume will, will defer, be different, like Max said. But if you can go, wait a minute, I've just closed my seventh one of these deals. I can roughly predict now how long it's going to take, the people I need to talk to, I know their objections. If you can hand this off in a playbook form to someone, if you trust that they can also do it because you have taught them what you've learned, if you trust that they can close the next seven with very little handholding, obviously you're a team, but if they can take the charge, then you're probably ready for that hire, but not before. You know, and you just, as you're talking, it reminded me of something where, where if you're doing that founder-led sales, your job will become so tied to sales and so occupied with sales. That's the signal, mm-hmm. right? When you're going, I, if I put this sales process down right now, it's going to crumble because I'm busy. I've got customers coming at me. I'm onboarding and I'm doing all these jobs. And again, they're naturally going to gravitate towards becoming processes and tasks, mm-hmm. not building. You're going to go, oh, yeah, no, I'm ready for this because now I'm doing this and you're doing it on autopilot and, yeah. you, and you're walking tall and you have confidence behind you know, that process. The other thing that I'll just say is I, I think it doesn't get communicated enough how valuable it is for a founder to understand sales. Yes. How often, Catherine, have you and I come across a great founder who hired the wrong salesperson And as soon as you dig into it, you go, that person's been stealing your time for three months or four months and five months, and and your options are really gone. Mm -hmm. When you know what that process looks like, you're in such a better position to de-risk that department, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and to make sure that it's on an appropriate length leash that people don't kind of go out and come up with a bunch of harebrained ideas and start spraying and praying. And oh, by the way, as soon as you know it starts to get off track, you can step back in and revive that pipeline, which, which is a superpower mm-hmm. for a founder to have. Um, and, it, and it is all too common for founders to get it up, you know, get the, get the system up and running and it's going. And then go, great, I'm going to hire you know, Ted, my new head of sales. And to go, oh, thank God, I hated doing that. Mm-hmm. You still need to be able to hold that team to account Make sure that they're they're keeping the momentum that you built because mm-hmm. it momentum is fickle. It it disappears very quickly, and it takes a really long time to regain. <laughs> it sure does. Every founder's journey is unique, and if you need help taking the next step in yours, contact us at info at propelict.com to go further, faster. I've always told founders when you're selling and when you have that momentum, any, any kind of sales is like swimming against the current up the stream. And the minute you stop kicking your little legs, what happens? You literally wash away. So momentum is key. Keeping that going will only happen if you can secure the process that you're talking about. It's on autopilot and you trust you can hand it to someone who can run with it. Um, and that's a big that's a big milestone. I think my founders who are at that process stage are like, wait a minute, I've got this figured out. I understand what my next sale is going to look like. I've documented the expectations in this version, this niche area of the market where I can solve their problem. They're willing to pay for it. Off we go. Um, 
my, I want to lead you into, it's a quote, I, you, you mentioned it already and I love it. So I'm going to go back to it. When the founder is trying to figure out doing these early founder led sales and they're learning, they're not sure. So they're kicking tires, they're learning. And you say, don't bring feelings to a data fight, which really means, and, and I want you to help expand this for me, Max, don't bring feelings to the table when you're trying to develop a market. Don't push your own uh, thoughts and feelings into the customer's mouth. What, what does this really mean? Don't bring feelings to a data fight because I think it's really important. Yeah, there's, there's two sides to that coin. I mean, the first one is the most common feeling is interest um, <laughs> or that somebody didn't, you know, laugh in my face and slam the door and say, well, that's the craziest idea I've heard in a while, right? Because no one actually says that, Yeah. right? So a lot of times we, we see people confuse interest and traction. Interest is a feeling, traction is data. Um, as, I, as I joke with founders, you cannot deposit interest um, into your local bank account, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so no matter how much interest you have, um, that's just not going to cut it. So you need to translate that, right? And you need to get people to take tangible steps that you can measure down through your sales funnel and get them to make an actual decision. Get decisions you can measure. People, This many people said yes, this many people said no, but if I never ask anyone to make a decision, I don't get any data. Um, what decision are you trying to get them to make? That's also not a feeling, right? So people aren't going to buy because they are interested in your technology. They're excited about your technology. At the end of the day, buying is a data-driven decision for your customer. And I think this is where so many founders struggle with something that otherwise the sales profession says, like, here's the thing I'm going to teach you on day one. And it's so easy to pick up. People buy things because you're solving a problem for them. And by solving that problem, you're going to create a benefit. Now, the benefit, the default for folks is like, I'm going to streamline processes. I'm going to make things easier for them, Uh, you know, create AI-based business analytics software for, you know, better business operations, whatever the heck that means. At the end of the day, the data you're trying to get to is what are my customers, particularly the economic buyers, key metrics? Every single economic buyer has three key metrics. So it's really simple. Your product or service either helps those metrics or it falls outside of the top three. And, and just put, you know, put on their hat for a second. If somebody was trying to take your time, you know, hey, I want to demo you something that doesn't impact one of the three most important numbers that you look at all year, are you going to give them your time? Probably not, right? And the last question about the data, because again, metrics are data, is how much do you impact them by? Is it enough that it would be relevant? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you impact their metrics enough, they're going to stop what they're doing and make you and your solution a priority. If you're in search of you know, a feeling of somebody likes us enough that they're going to buy our, our product, um, you're going to find a lot of friends for sure. But Again, it, this is business building. At the end of the day, you need revenue. You need dollars in that bank account. Mm-hmm. I think if we were going to have a t-shirt printed after this, Max, we would write on it, you can't deposit interest in your bank account or excitement or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But but founders, 
I mean, that was a, that's a real gem, um, Max. So thank you for sharing your commentary on that. And it's, I would, I would also point out, this is a real challenge in Atlantic Canada because we have founders. We're so friendly here. As you know, you spent time here, you know, a lot of founders here, our community, um, people get excited. They're, they're think, oh, you're a founder. You're going to be amazing. And so there's a lot of excitement and feelings, none of which you can deposit into a bank account. Founders listen up to that because that's golden. Buying is actually that piece of data that founders need, not the excitement, not the interest. And I want founders to remember this as they are approaching early relationships with any kind of investors, be it angel investors, venture capital investors. And, and we see it all the time. I'm uh, one of the managing partners with the Women's Equity Lab in Atlantic Canada. And we hear founders say to us, I am in conversation with X, Y, Z potential customer. And I'm like, great. It doesn't mean anything until it's data. Yeah. Until, uh, to your point, until you can deposit something in your bank account. Um, it's simply, it's good to know about the top of your funnel. Don't get me wrong. Um, but until it's a data point, then it's tough to take it seriously and important yeah. for founders to know they need to get there. Yeah. And, you know, I was on a call with a group of founders, our current cohort just this morning, and one brought up a really, you know, good question about just this topic, which is how do I deal with the mental discomfort of looking at interest as actually a bad thing, right? As, as mm -hmm. the thing that doesn't really serve me. And, and it's true. It's, it's mentally, it feels backwards um, and is certainly uncomfortable. And it's the classic, you know, battle between the instant gratification, oh, I'm going to go get a cookie, right? And the delayed gratification of, wow, look how, look how good I feel after going to the gym for a month. Right. Right. Instant gratification, it, it calms the nerves. It makes us feel good. We get a pat on the shoulder. That task is off our plate. Revenue is just not an instant gratification tool, mm -hmm. right? It, it just isn't. It's a byproduct of, of a lot of activity mm -hmm. and it takes time and you've got to build that. And so, you know, if you're going, well, interest is useful, like, yeah, but you've got to convert that. Um, and, and you've also got to start, you know, using a variety of different tricks to understand that maybe interest is actually not interest. Maybe it's stealing, right? Maybe it's free consulting. Mm -hmm. Hey, are, you're a startup founder. Are you actually a free consultant? Of course not. Well, that's what you, when you start looking at your mm -hmm. calendar, you start looking at your meetings going, yeah, you know what? I am doing free consulting. I could find that when founders do that kind of retrospective analysis of a lot of the folks that you know, have claimed to be interested and they do it with just a slightly different lens than they've done it before. Mm -hmm. um, there's this really funny kind of emotional journey they go through at first. They're like, man, there aren't nearly as many people mm -hmm. that are, are truly qualified and interested as I thought, which mm -hmm. is a little bit of, of a, you know, of a punch to the stomach. Yeah. But then they go, I'm so relieved. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have, now I know what I have to do. And it's clear and I'm not going to give those people my time. Now I've got time and energy and focus back. Mm -hmm. So it requires a little of that, you know, reflection so that you can get that data to go what, what's real and what's, you know, potential. Yeah. And some of the toughest things, and we've seen this live out in Propel, when a founder realizes that lesson, Max, so they get their energy back when they're being decisive about who's really interested in their funnel and 
whose problem can I actually solve? And sometimes empowering a founder to say no or fire an actual customer, and in many cases, potential customers to clear up their calendars. Because again, like we said earlier, you got to protect that calendar and how you spend your time. And it can't be with everyone under the sun. That's not going to help you figure out your ideal customer profile, which is what I want to talk about next. But really, it's been a huge relief for founders. We see this in our Propel program. So for those listening, really, really key to understand, you can say no. You're not, you're not wrecking a relationship and you're also may not be saying no forever, but for right now, you have to secure that traction. And something we talk about that I, I, I'd love you to go into a little bit more, Max, is your ideal customer profile. So we knew that every, all the Propel alumni know this. This is the, this is the growth X magic that comes to life that our founders love and really figuring out who is my ideal customer profile, the one. The Mr. And this is your quote, Mr. and Mrs. Not Mr. or Mrs. Right. It's Mr. or Mrs. Right now. Can you talk about the ideal customer profile and how critical that is in a founder journey? But before I talk about it, I mean, I, I do want to set the stage for, for how profoundly misunderstood mm -hmm. that is. I'm going to ask you a question, Catherine. Yeah. So you have a lot of companies applying to Propel, reaching out, you talk to them. Right. And they they tell you as part of your process what who they think their customer is, you know, back in the napkin. What percentage of founders do you think that you meet know who their ideal customer is in the early stages? Maybe two percent actually know that just about tracks. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Same cool. thing. So in, in our program, on our application, we ask every founder, who's your ideal customer? And at the end of the program, we have founders reapply to our program. Yeah. And I've actually looked at the data and it is about what you what you see. It's that three, four yeah. percent of founders actually know who their customer is. And so when we're talking about your ideal customer profile and why it's so important, I mean, it's not rocket science. How do you build a go to market strategy and all the little pieces behind it if you don't know who it's built for? Right, because your go-to-market strategy is something that can kind of exist on a on you know a whiteboard somewhere, but in the real world, it's your website, it's your email copy, it's your pricing, it's your demo. Well, again, let we don't have to overcomplicate this. Who are all those things made for? It's made for your customer. It's made for a human being, not a TAM, mm -hmm. right? It's not made for a building like a hospital or a school. It's made for a human being. And by the way, pro tip, you actually have a lot more in common with that human being than you think, right? Most of you are doing the same thing that they are, which is sitting in front of a computer screen with a bunch of the buttons organized the exact same way. So you can actually empathize a lot with these folks. And that's why knowing who that customer is, that having that ideal customer profile, and what makes it ideal is, of all potential customers, who is that really narrow customer segment that makes the most sense for you, given your runway, given your resources, given your product, and given the right use case? Knowing who that ideal customer is, it's the one thing that directly impacts all of the other pieces that must exist in order for you to get to market and to scale. If you don't know who your ideal customer is, where what what ends up happening, and again, you've seen it plenty, is you just are left to shout about your features <laughs> into 
the wind, right? And your your email goes from, hi, I'm Max, I'm the founder of GrowthX. We work with companies to unlock, you know, the secrets of, you know, go to market so they can build better messaging and help founders really drive the type of traction they need to attract investors to, hi, I'm Max, we built a revolutionary AI-based platform that is a seed stage company that's attracted investors like XYZ. Um, would you be interested in a demo? Be- the second email doesn't know anything about who it's writing it to, yeah. <laughs> right? And so I can't talk about your problems and I can't talk about your needs and the things that you really care about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's also just for what it's worth. I think it's it's just good business best practice. You know, one of the people I follow who's taught me a lot about sales, John Barrows, and if you don't know his content, certainly mm. check it out. Yeah. But, you know, he he just, you know, calls it the giving a damn factor. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you don't actually care to serve these people or to learn about them, that's going to translate in everything that you do. And would you buy your own sales process? Would you open your own email? And you probably wouldn't. And it, and it's not because you're not the world's greatest you know, email copywriter or website developer. It's probably just because you're not communicating that you actually know who that person is and you have an earnest desire to solve a problem for them. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite learning that I'm taking away from what you've just articulated, Max, that I think is so critical for founders to learn. Everyone's got a TAM slide in their pitch deck. And what Max is talking about is connecting the TAM slide to the humans you are actually selling to and understanding them as human beings. Give a damn. (laughs) Really, really getting to that compassionate level and checking yourself. Would you buy your sales process? And the more you can put yourself in the shoes of the people you are trying to sell to, trying to solve problems for, trying to help them, the better off you're going to be. And that self-awareness as a founder is often new. So I love, we love seeing founders, for example, that have been in industry for 16, 17 years, and they are so frustrated with a particular problem. And they're like, we can do this better. We have to do this better. And they take that leap as an entrepreneur. And, And the mindset shift to still learning how to be an entrepreneur and how to listen to a market. They know an industry, but is it a market? Really listening to that is critical. And I think it helps shape and and you can see those founders come to life, the more self-awareness they have in relation to these early stage ideal customer profiles and identifying those. That's where we start to really see traction come to life. Yeah. And it brings brings us kind of back to something you brought up earlier, which is, you know, the mentor chat roulette and mm-hmm. sort of the shiny object syndrome by by mentors and advisors. Yeah. I think a big part of the work that we, you know, do with all the founders we work with is kind of shaking them, jarring them a little bit and go, listen, stop doing what you're supposed to do, right? Stop doing what you think everyone else is doing or what, you know, the company you look look up to does or the founder that you look up to or what, you know, God forbid the founders in TechCrunch are doing, Mm -hmm. right? Because we all know that's paid media, (laughs) right? Um, Start doing what's real to you. What would excite you if someone reached out? If, If you just do that, if you start behaving in a way where you would, you know, respond to your own email and actually be interested in your own demo um, and not have a, a litany of questions about your very confusing proposal, mm-hmm. right? You will be a lot better, better off. Not mm-hmm. only because you'll simplify things and, and you won't be trying to fit yourself into another box, but authenticity 
is so seldom talked about mm-hmm. in go-to-market strategy because whether it's B2B, B2C, B2G, whatever it is, it's you a human communicating with another human. Being authentic is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And if you're uncomfortable with your process or your messaging or them, it's going to translate. It's going to come out and leak. So get I just can't stress it enough. You know, a big part of it is I, I always joke with founders like, I've got to get you out of your dad's business suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as good as it not, probably looks, you gotta like go. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you can't see your hands because the sleeves are too long. Like, let's put that away, right? And just get in your own skin. Yeah. And I, you know, we have a great story of a founder who was uh, actually in Canada and she was running these email campaigns and her ICP was nailed. And she was, you know, she had great customers and great revenue, and absolutely every element she needed to have a really successful outbound campaign. And the first one went out and it failed. And she said, I did everything you guys told me and I'm not getting anything. What's going on? And she said, all right, send over the templates. And it was really simple. I mean, you're talking about this founder. She was a really bright, bubbly personality. I think just about every call I was on with her, she's wearing some form of tie-dye and she's a creative person. And she wrote this email that was written by you know, stiff businessman. Yeah. That's the problem. Your superpower is your authenticity. People want to work with you. Yeah. Took the email and just rewrote it in her own grammar. All the elements were there. It was just mad libbing, just some some really, you know, weird phrases. Thing took off. And absolutely the next the next jump on it was like 70% response rate. And she got a lot of customers from it just because it's not you know, ICP and all those technical parts there, but being authentic is a huge part of it. Yeah, I, I think that's critical. And I think you offered a lot of hope, Max, just now for those founders listening when they think they have to sound a certain way. Um, and for our, we have a lot of new Canadians within our program. I'm talking 76% of our companies have new Canadians on their founding team. So this is especially important when sometimes English is not your first language. You lived in China. I've lived in Germany. I had to learn to sell in German. So I know what it's like to struggle through another language can totally relate to how that feels. So practice, but being authentic is such an important part of that in order to establish that human connection, in order to get trust going in this often virtual relationship trust and transparency is the currency to your next conversation with them. It's the ticket to, it's the ticket to your next meeting and uh, is what we often talk about. Max, we're nearing the end of our time. I'm so sad about that. I want to give one more uh, bit of hope to founders who may be feeling overwhelmed. They're trying to, they're learning, they've learned a lot from yourself over the, the earlier part of this podcast, but maybe they're trying to still figure out their ICP. They're trying to establish that traction. And something that you talk about is doing unscalable things early. Tell founders, please, why that is important, why that is okay, and why when you get to the process, predictable, repeatable process level, that shifts. But it's okay to feel that way now. Yeah. I mean, the the first part to that about you know doing unscalable things early um, is that you, you don't need to scale. Right. And it's a term, it's a phrase, or should really say it's a mentality that um, has been foisted on a lot of founders. And and really, they feel like it's a burden Mm -hmm. and it gets them to do a lot of things that aren't in their own self interest. So, one of the things I talk with a lot of founders about, and many of them are pre revenue, or as we talked about, most of them are pre ICP. Um, 
let's get into the math of sales for you. Mm-hmm. What, how many customers do you actually need and by when? And then when you start playing around with that number, just kind of ask why a few times. Well, why that number? Why that many customers? What are you trying to actually prove? And what does it unlock? And in most cases, you're talking about one, maybe three or five customers in the next few months. Okay, so you need three customers in the next six months. There are an, an uncountable number of ways you could get there. And every strategy, every, every channel, every you know, sales methodology works in one way, shape, or form or another. That's not what you're trying to solve for. You're trying to get the most amount of revenue as quickly as you can. You've got a number and you've got to hit it. So start looking at all the pathways. And yeah, it'd be great to get three customers through an outbound email campaign. But if you know those three people, why wouldn't you just pick up the phone and call them? Because that revenue is going to buy you runway. And this is something we, we do with a lot of founders, which is kind of inside out, go to market. Let's start by buying time. Let's pick up all the low-hanging fruit so that we can buy runway. And as we do that, we're also picking up the things that you need to do scalable go-to-market. You know, it, and when we talk about scalable go-to-market, we're really talking about starting to reach people that are well outside of your geographic region, of your network, of your network's network. I mean, really the true essence of cold outbound. To do that well, you need case studies, you need stats, you need proof points. Not a lot, but social proof is really important mm-hmm. for that level of go-to-market. So where can I get it quickly? Get it doing some of these unscalable things because I don't have a, a, a scalable target. The goal does not meet the method, right? So those two just really have to be in sync with one another. And by the way, that continues all the time when you're looking at, you know, we call it a market milestone. What's the number that you're trying to solve for? And, and one of the things I've been really stressing to founders is your go-to-market strategy is not some grand plan that, again, I think gets kind of confused yeah. on, a, on the slide directly after the TAM slide, <laughs> right? In 90% of cases, your go-to-market strategy is really just your sales strategy for the next six to 18 months before you fundraise. Right. That's it. So, okay, now that I know that's what my sales strategy is, and we're, we're starting to make it data-driven, mm-hmm. right? Okay, when do I need a fundraise by? Let's call it 12 months. Okay, what would be the most compelling story so that my fundraise would be short, I'd get a fair valuation, and it would obviously be compelling to investors? This amount of revenue. Great. How many customers is that amount of revenue? Uh, It's 200 customers. Okay, let's pump the brakes. Do you have the resources to get 200 customers? Like if you actually, if they were here and you started onboarding, could you do it in that time frame? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. Then glad we didn't chase that object. So let's start getting deeper into those weeds. Great. You want 200 customers or now you want 50 customers. Where does number one through five come from in by when? Great. Now that strategy, how do we get to the month one strategy, right? As opposed to, I think we're, you know, um, doing scalable things to get to unscalable places is just doing go to market by pulling strategies off the shelf, right? Right, And not really considering, is this 
you know, again, is this considering what I should be doing? Is this really the, the thing that gives me the best bang for my buck? I love that. And I think what you've just talked about really gives founders the perspective of where I can spend my time and energy doing productive things, not just being busy, but actually moving the right needle in the right direction by being realistic about what they're biting off and choosing how they're choosing to spend their time um, and moving towards the right milestones, the right market milestones. Um, Max, having a milestone, having a milestone, having the right milestone that to aim towards exactly. And getting out of TAM territory very quickly at an early stage. Um, Max, I'm very sad. We are going to have to wrap it up, but I do want to, for, for the founders listening, I've written down a couple of my favorite quotes uh, over the last hour that Max has shared, and I'm just going to recap them because they're fun. So Max has said the right traction is what unlocks the path to scale. So again, remember founders not having a bunch of fractured revenue that is not predictable, not repeatable, no process around it. Lots of great points on that. My favorite though, I think Max, is that you can't deposit excitement in your bank account. So let's get the data and data is actually buying. Purchasing something is a data-driven decision. It's not a feeling. So again, keep those feelings out of what needs to be a data fight. So the market development era of your journey. Um, And then you said you can't be left shouting about your features. Um, So if you're not really connecting with the humans on the other end of this hopeful buying journey, you're going to be shouting about your features and no one's going to listen and you're going to be exhausted and feel defeated at some point. Yeah. So really connect with authenticity. I think that was also a really important message for founders. Really connect with those human beings and understand what it's like to be in their shoes so you can hopefully yeah. succeed. Um, and then early on, you talked about just how overall with GrowthX and Propel, how together we want to teach founders the right techniques. How do they navigate these markets so that they don't spend their time playing mentor chat roulette. They can leverage mentors in other ways, no question. But for the day-to-day, they've got to learn the right techniques to get into the market, to go to market properly. Mm. Max, any final thoughts for you as we wrap up our podcast today? No, I mean, you know, we covered so much. Yeah. And you know, again, I know between both of our organizations, there's a ton of really great resources that people should check out. My final comment is, you know, just get started. Um, You know, it's really kind of go to market is something it sounds, you know, cheesy, but it's something that's accomplished one day at a time. And you string together a couple of good days and a couple of good weeks and you really start to build something. Um, And, you know, that every day where you neglect it is another day where your runway just got shorter. Um, And so it's just it just is about consistency. And and, and you hit the nail on the head. Productivity as well. Not Mm -hmm. confusing being busy with being productive. Yeah. I love it. I appreciate you taking the time so much today, Max. Um, I think we're really, really uh, lucky to have you and the GrowthX team. Uh, Your passion, your authenticity comes across loud and clear. We often say hanging out with the GrowthX team is better than watching Netflix. This today was no exception. So uh, really, really glad to share your insights with the founders that are even beyond Propel because we luckily get a front row seat to you on a regular basis. But really, really happy you could join us today. So thank you for your time. and Thanks for coming. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you for listening to Founder Journeys by Propel ICT. Propel ICT is Atlantic Canada's e-accelerator for tech startups. Are you a founder looking to build on sales and marketing skills, reach and engage with the right customers and ultimately find success? 
Our coaches are eager and excited to help you and your business go further, faster. To learn more about us and our team, visit PropelICT.com. Propel ICT, where founders become leaders.